0: Hello, and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm Emma Cantor, Deputy Children's Book Editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with author illustrator Dan Santat about his middle grade graphic memoir, A First Time for Everything, out on February 28th from Macmillan's First Second, which is sponsoring this podcast. Dan Santat is a Caldecott Medalist and the best selling author and illustrator of The Adventures of Beagle, The Unimaginary Friend. Are We There Yet? And After the Fall How Humpty Dumpty Got Back Up Again. His artwork is also featured in numerous picture books, chapter books, and middle grade novels, including Dave Pilkey's Ricky Ricotta series. He lives in Southern California with his family. In A First Time for Everything, Santat's First Graphic Memoir, the author reflects on his awkward middle school years and the class trip to Europe that changed everything. Thanks for joining me, Dan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The book charts the transformative trip you took the summer before high school, as well as that emotional journey from childhood to young adulthood. What inspired you to travel back in time to explore that?
1: I think think to begin, it it started years ago, shortly after the release of Gene Yang's uh, American Born Chinese. He and I met at the Miami Book Festival. And we connected one evening. And and I I just wanted to talk to him about how much that book made a huge impact on me, because uh, there was something about the Asian American immigrant experience that he and I closely related to, you know, stories about our parents not wanting us to be artists and, and so forth, uh, and as we continued our conversation, he said to me, "You should write a book about this." And, and so years went by, and shortly after winning uh, the Caldecott Medal, uh, my my editor immediately asked if I wanted to do a memoir. And, and so the initial memoir that I had in mind was uh, this story I had about my relationship with my family, kind of similar to the conversation I had with Jean. And it was about a time in my life when my mother was going through about a breast cancer. The hard part was that uh, there was a lot of emotional heavy lifting that that had to go through that. and And I just wasn't really mentally prepared to handle it. And I would say six months before the pandemic started, my son, my 13 year old son asked me one day, Uh, the first time he asked me about the first time I ever fell in love. And I think this was because, um, girls were starting to, uh, take a fancy to him. And so I thought about it for a while and then I realized it was this trip to Europe that I took when I was, when I was also 13. And so I'm telling my editor about this, you know, pretty much along the lines of, Oh gosh, this funny thing happened. My son asked me, you know, about the first time I fell in love and then I slowly started telling her this whole story. And by the time it was done, my editor, Connie Shu, she stopped me and she said, wait, why haven't you ever told me this story before? And I said, oh, because we're working on this other memoir. And she said, no, 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 no. This story has everything, you know, and, and it has beginning, middle and end. It's a, it's a summer romance and it takes place in Europe and it actually happened. And it's true. And you have to do this and this will teach you how to make memoirs and so i i you know i i thought about it for a minute and i and then i tracked down the people who were on the trip cuz i had to ask them their thoughts about it and and everyone was really open you know open to the idea and it, it slowly started becoming like a, a a reunion of sorts people sharing journal entries and memories and photos and the interesting thing about it was while I was working on the book during the pandemic, this was really a project that got me through the pandemic. I just felt like reflecting on how my kids were reacting to the world, the politics, the you know the the rise in racism, and uh just just the fear of this of this virus, um, just a lot of anxiety just going throughout the globe, and I, I feel like I feel like The entire planet just got a huge dose of PTSD, and we're probably not going to see, you know, the the end results for a long, long time. But it really kind of reflected my experience of going through junior high and just being terrified of the entire world. And so I felt like this was a book that probably is coming out at a perfect time, because it will allow kids to just realize that the world isn't as terrifying as, you know, social media and and the handed out to be.
0: And thankfully travel like this is possible again. Kids can go explore their world.
1: Right, right, you know. I mean, air, airfare is much more expensive. I, I do make note in the in the memoir that back in the 80s air, air travel was a little bit more affordable. Uh and and I am aware of the fact that um you know, maybe not everyone will be able to relate to the European uh trip or or the Uh, accessibility of traveling to beautiful, faraway places. But, uh, you know, in essence, the story is really about kind of breaking from your habits and trying new things and realizing that those little things make a big difference. You know, things like trying a a different flavor soda for the first time or, or what have you.
0: Yes. So you mentioned going through some journal entries and other materials from the trip. Could you talk more about delving into that? sort of tangible research? And did your understanding of your teen self change at all, r- revisiting it?
1: Yeah, so that's that's really interesting, because when you start going back into uh, old journals and things like that, um, it's not really reliable, because when you read the things that you read when you were 13, um, you're really talking about things that I don't, I don't know. I think there was something about my 13-year-old voice that already sounded really cynical. You know, you would read little journal entries and it would say, nothing big happened today. Whatever. Everything's stupid. <laughs> and so it wasn't very handy. Um, but reaching out to the friends who went on the trip, what I realized is that everyone had very fuzzy memories about uh, what they experienced. Like, for example, I didn't. I had absolutely no recollection that we had visited the Eagle's Nest Uh, until a friend of mine shared a photo and I said, oh, this is a beautiful mountaintop. What is this? They said, it's Hitler's eagle's nest. I said, I don't recall ever going to the eagle's nest. Meanwhile, I was talking to a friend about sneaking into Wimbledon and my friend had absolutely no recollection of even going into center court and watching the match. And it blew my mind thinking, how could you forget something like that? One of the most reliable pieces of primary sources that I had to delve from was from this girl. Her name's Amy. And uh, she actually had a very uh, thorough journal logging the entire trip. And, you know, she she transcribed her entire thing to me. And it had names of hotels and what the weather was like and what we ate, you know, sites that we had seen. So I would take that and I would, I would write it down on my notebook and then Um, I did take a trip out to Europe, uh, took a trip out to London, retraced my steps through Wimbledon, and then also just supplemented that with going uh, on Google Maps and then looking up the hotels and then just using the Google Street View and walking around and just trying to get the feel of the neighborhood that way. Uh, Other stories in there, flashbacks about friends having having experiences with me uh, in in one part of the story – I had drawn a picture of a dragon for a friend for her father's birthday gift. And while I was working on the project, um, the girl, her name's Joy, uh, she one day just sent me this, this snapshot of that dragon drawing hanging up on her father's wall. And she said, my father still has that dragon drawing on your wall. And I completely forgot that I had done that for her. And I realized that, It was something that had to go in the story because it was going to deeply seed the relationship and the history between myself and that character. And then I thought back to all the other characters in the story that I went to, you know, grade school, middle school, high school with. And I thought about, you know, these little moments, these connections that we had that I could relate to them uh, in a way to just make the story a little bit more personal um, one, one such story also was, um, a friend of mine, her name's Shelley Shelly in the book and in the book, there's a scene where she has her period and she calls on me to borrow uh, my sweater so that she can cover herself because she's wearing a white dress that day. And then my and then we, we give her a, a ride home. My mom comes to pick me up and we give her a ride home. Now, the crazy part of all this is that neither Shelly nor I actually remembered the story. It was my mother who told me this story. Oh, wow. When I told her that I was working on this book, my mom just brought it up. She said, oh, Shelly, do you remember that time when she had her period and then we had to take her home? And I said, mom, what are you talking about? And my mom, 70, 77 years old your memory is sharp as a witch. She said, you had to whisper to me, mom, she had her period. Can we give her a ride home? And I, I had absolutely no recollection of the story whatsoever. And I'm telling my editor this, and she says, oh, this has to be in the story. This has to be in the book. <laughs> and I said, I agree, but I don't know how I'm going to tell Shelly this. And so I I, I draw the whole thing out. I, I play out the sequence. And then one day I said, I write to Shelley and I say, uh, Shelley, listen, I want to tell you about something in this book uh, that I want to get your blessing on. And I told her there's this scene that happened where, you know, you had your period and my, my we we I lent you my sweater and my mom gave you a ride home. I don't remember this story, but my mom clearly remembers it as clear as day. So uh, I wanted you to read it and I wanted to... Get your thoughts. And she read it. And then 20 minutes later, she gets back to me and she says, I love this. I think it's really fantastic. I don't remember any of this, but I would not be surprised if if it was the case, because my mother was the type of person that would send me to school on my period in a white dress. (laughs) And (laughs) And so, you know, it was like these little details that would come in. And then and then, even stories from other people that would give stories from a different perspective and just fill in those fuzzy blanks, uh, enough to the point where you could actually paint a picture. And, and so it was really fantastic. And the end result, and here's the weird thing, or a wonderful thing if you want to say it, is that that 13-year-old me is still well and healthy inside of me. You know, you would think about these moments and your mind would transport yourself to that place to that time and the feelings are all there you know the 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 love the 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 shame the the awkwardness it's it's really deeply rooted inside you so i mean any adult who probably takes the time to reflect back on a memory about an old you know about an old flame or whatever um yeah it's all in there and there's something i don't know there's something really there's something really pure about that. Just knowing that 13 year old me is still in there. And I look back at that kid and I, I'm happy that I remember there was a time when I used to think that I wish that my life was different, but now when I reflect back on it, the, the weird part of it is that I really look back at all the awkward moments with With, you know, with a smile because I realized that if I didn't go through those moments, I wouldn't be here.
0: And what was it like working in the graphic memoir format? This is a new terrain for you, right?
1: Yeah, it's funny. So um, I had been talking about this for years with folks like, you know, Raina Telgemeier and Shannon Hale and Jared Kozaska you know all of us, in fact, I was talking about the graphic memoir way before they were, but I just had so many projects on my plate working with Dave Pilkey, working with mo willems um doing my own uh, my own picture books and while I was just trying to work on my immense workload, Shannon had finished a memoir, Jared had finished a memoir, you know uh and and now I it's 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 odd because I almost feel like I'm so late in the game in terms of doing the graphic memoir. I almost feel like I almost feel like I'm following a trend. So it's a little embarrassing despite the fact that I had been thinking about doing this for gosh, the last, you know, thirteen years. There there is something about the graphic medium that I think is beneficial from my point of view, is that I, I'm a very visual person. And so when I when I want to describe certain things, uh, I can also accompany it with visuals that I see in my own head. So I think that really gives a very thorough um, idea of what I went through. Um, I even went so far. There's a, there's a part in the book where um, in the beginning, in the dedication, there's a mixed tape that these two French girls gave me. And in the bottom, there's a little QR code that you can click on.
0: Yes, I saw that.
1: Yeah, and so, um, you know, if you had read an advanced reader copy and you scanned it, you probably didn't see all the little details that I I recently added. And, you know, there were two – so you can click on that QR code and then it will provide a link so that you can actually listen to that mixtape on Spotify. I made a Spotify list of all the songs on that mixtape. But then there's also going to be a second playlist. Uh, because there are songs that you hear throughout the trip you know um you you hear a de la soul song at a at a at a party you know you hear um the beer drinking song in the Hofbräuhaus in munich and you know i i'd I to provide a playlist for that but then also um I had taken pictures i I had drawn uh landmarks uh and and site and sites that I had uh seen on my vacation. And those were based off of photos that uh, I had taken, like really lousy, blurry photos. But what I do in that little extra section is that if you click on the drawing, it will transport you to the Google street view of that spot, and you can actually walk around that neighborhood and just get the feel of everything i'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to provide as much as i can to give everybody this feeling of what it's like to travel to europe without actually having to leave their home and maybe maybe i don't know maybe maybe taking the street view and walking around will inspire kids or whomever to just say oh you know maybe 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 traveling somewhere isn't so bad maybe maybe it's worth exploring I think there's something about travel that really opens up the mind and and, and lets you know that it's actually a much friendlier place than, than the news and, and social media perceives it to be, because they usually just shovel a lot of the negative towards you, and it makes the world more terrifying.
0: Absolutely. And there's something about that in-person experience, that immersion, that you can't get through a screen.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, and, and you know, it, it's funny, because there is this feeling of um, first impressions that you get, like, if I were to go someplace, and I were to tell people that I'm from California, I think that automatically gives that person impression of that person, because maybe they've heard things about California go, Oh, you know, you know, you're, you're kind of weird, you guys are like weird, and there's always fires there and earthquakes, right. But that doesn't that shouldn't be the thing that defines me as a person, right? You know, you'd have to have, you have to sit down, you have to have conversations with people. Like, for example, I mean, I'm I'm guilty of my own biases as well. So I remember one of the first, one of the first, this was years ago, I remember going, I remember having to go to a conference in San Antonio, Texas. And, you know, Texas has been run through the ringer in terms of the news and in politics and about how conservative they are. Uh, And, you know, I remember I remember flying to San Antonio and just coming off the plane thinking, oh, San Antonio. And then I walked around and I met the people and I went through the Riverwalk and the Alamo and I had conversations with people at this conference and. I realized I was a jerk. I realized, you know, like I had this I had this preconceived notion of what these people were going to be and it was absolutely wrong. And and as a as a result, the lesson was learned that I can't judge people by, you know, I can't judge a book by its cover. And that's that's something that I feel like a lot of people need to do. I think that is something that is causing a lot of division in this country is that, you know, they see something on the news, they see something on social media, and then they they just conclude, I never have to go to that place ever again, because everyone there is awful. And that's not the truth. And so um, I've come to a place now where I just, I'm, I'm absolutely adventurous. I have an open mind towards everything. Like, for example, um, and, and some people may have seen this on my social media, I was in Singapore. And then 12 hours later, I get a call from my booking agent saying, uh, the First Lady of Uzbekistan would would love for you to come and speak at the UNESCO conference. And, and I was just completely, my mind was completely blown. Because wow. I, my first thought was, how does the First Lady of, of Uzbekistan even know who I am? And it was a rare opportunity to go to, uh, you know, a former Soviet country that was never on my bucket list of visiting, but I also thought to myself, this is the only opportunity I'm going to have to visit a place like this, perhaps. And so I agreed, and 48 hours later, I'm landing, you know, in Uzbekistan, and I'm just meeting all these people, and they're the, you know, the funny thing was that the first impression that I had was everybody was very grouchy, because no one was smiling. None of the women, none of the men, but... I had I had a handler and, and his name was Bob and he he would escort me around. And once I got to know Bob, he was the most amazing most fun person ever. And and it turned out that he was familiar with my work because he was a huge fan of my cartoon show when I was a kid. And you know, I got to know him, I got to know his fiance. And it was an amazing trip that, you know. I now have in my mind uh, as a fond memory, and now i can I can say that I have a friend who's in Uzbekistan, right, and I think if more people had those kind of experiences it, it's one of those things where they realize, hey, you know what the world is a beautiful place and and that's that's really what I want people to get from this book is that you know I grew up in a small town, and this small town had an impression of me which which I perceive to be true because when you're a little kid. You just base the judgment of yourself off of other people's opinions because you have no experience to fall back on, right? And so if you're growing up in a town and everyone's calling you a loser, you kind of assume that it must be true because everyone is saying it. But when you go out into the world and you and you explore its immensity, you actually take a lot of solace in that vastness of space because you realize that if you make a mistake it doesn't matter because in the scope of the entire universe that mistake was very minute and if you're looking for someone to relate to the world is big enough for you to find someone who will totally understand where you're coming from and that's that's really the point of the whole
0: book it's such a great perspective to give readers I noticed that you weave quotes and references to A.A. Milne throughout the book, beginning with the epigraph. (laughs) And because this is a children's book podcast, I have to ask, how does his writing resonate with you?
1: I had a speech teacher. Her name was Marilyn Bjork. And um, (laughs) she she found a lot of promise in me in terms of public speaking. Uh, I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why, but... Uh, she assigned me this poem spring morning which had been a curse it had been a curse to me for so long because it it triggered this moment that i had uh in middle school and and so for those of you who are listening and, and are not aware but when i was in when i was in 7th grade uh this was back in the 80s so this was around the time when nancy reagan had her whole uh, say no to drugs campaign <laughs> um they would, have, they would have former uh, drug addicts come to schools and talk about the dangers of drugs. Uh, and this went around the entire country. And so we had this assembly at our school. And this man finishes his presentation. And, uh, and the principal says, I can't let you kids go yet because there's still 15 minutes left of school. But Mrs. Bjork would like to share a little treat with you kids, right? And Mrs. Bjork, without <laughs> without my knowledge, whispers to me. She says, "Dan, I thought it'd be great if you could speak in front of the entire junior high uh, to perform your speech to get you prepared for the speech tournament that we have coming up." And I remember being completely terrified because I could tell that the audience of the seventh and eighth graders were not having it. You know, they wanted to go home. They were angry. They were frustrated. And someone was going to pay and that person was going to be me. And and I had to go up into the front of the stage and I I had to perform this poem Spring Morning by A.A. A. Milne, which, you know, uh, beautifully actually captures, you know, the the beauty of going out into the world unafraid and exploring everything, you know, without any worry or or hesitation. You know, there's something beautiful about that poem. But up till now, I had a hard relationship with that poem because it reminded me of that horrible moment speaking in front of all those kids who heckled me 30 seconds in. And by the time the bell rang, you know, all those kids, they pinned me as as this loser that choked in front of the entire school. And that affects a kid, that scars a child to the point where you no one wants to associate with you no one wants to even like be your friend and and I was just guilty of being in the wrong place at the wrong time you know and so there was a I almost hated the poem I I almost I almost hated the poem to the point where when it was time to write this memoir I think there was a feeling that I said I wanted to I wanted to make it I wanted to I wanted to command it. I wanted to make it my own. I didn't want to be a slave to how it made me feel. And so in the book um, you know, my my teacher takes me to AA a. Milne's home, which never actually happened in 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 reality. But the crazy part is is that he only he lived in Chelsea, which was just a couple blocks away from Earl's Court. And so when I went out to London, I went to go see his home, and I thought that making peace with my teacher and making peace with that moment would have been a really great bookend to the experience that I had. And so, in a way, you know, in that particular sense, I I, I was able to rewrite history. Um, I mean, you know, Mrs. Bjork was. She had she had great intentions. She had good intentions. I don't think she realized how cruel the kids at the school were going to be or, you know, what was going to transpire afterwards. And, you know, afterwards, she was very apologetic of what happened. Um, You know, adults have best intentions in mind when they try to do these things. But, you know, sometimes they don't know. They don't always pan out. So to tell you, you know, to, to answer your question for for a long long time that 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 poem was very haunting to me but um i I've, I've now since then made peace with it
0: <laughs> i am glad that it, it's <laughs> transformed into s- something that speaks of resilience and and triumph
1: and the weird part is that despite the pain that that's, that that life experience had for me i would not i would not give it up for anything because mm. If if it didn't happen, I don't know if I'd be here at this moment talking to you. Right? If I if I didn't have if I didn't have that pain, I don't know how that would have changed the course of my life. If I grew up to be a well-adjusted kid, I probably <laughs> would be I probably would be a doctor like my parents had, had had hoped. But but because of the painful moments And that's weird, I never thought I would ever feel this way. I never thought that I would actually cherish that pain, you know, and, and, and just realizing that it's really about how you react to it and how you grow from it. And, and, and you, and you, I don't know, it's, you know, writing a memoir is like having your own therapist and and you, you, you talk about all these things and you dissect every moment and you try to make sense of it. And in the end, you realize that it had to happen and it makes you a better, stronger person.
0: Well, congratulations on the book. Thank you so much for speaking with me.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I hope I hope everyone uh, enjoys the book as much as I had making it.
0: Once again, I've been speaking with author Dan Santat about his new graphic memoir, A First Time for Everything, which is out February 28 from First Second. Thank you for listening to PW Kids Cast.